0: Genesis chapter 1 this morning <clears throat> and let's just read a couple of verses this morning and we'll pray. Verse 14 <clears throat> this is where we're going to start. It says, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let there be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this day. We thank you for the great opportunity and privilege you have to be here as believers and to worship you, some praises to your name, and to Lord come and spend time around your word. Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak to us, teach us through your word, Lord may you... Give me wisdom and guidance this morning. You empower me through the Spirit. Maybe your words and, and your thoughts, Lord. And may we this morning leave uh, singing your praises, uh, better understanding your, your great wisdom, your power and your might. And may we give glory to your name. And We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, last Sunday we looked at day three of creation. And we talked about the fact that uh, God, by the power of his word, created dry land and the seas. He separated the two, uh, making the waters go to their appointed place, calling them seas, and he formed the dry land. And of course, with that dry land came that rich, fertile soil. And so the Lord then created plant life. Once again, by merely speaking, God brought all manner of plant life into existence. And we saw that God created three main orders of plants as recorded here in Genesis chapter 1. He created the grass, the herbs and the trees. And we saw that each of these was created with seed in itself to reproduce. And it was given the, the ability to reproduce after its kind. And you know we talked about the fact that scientists today, you know, they tell us about the DNA of the genetic code. Well God put that there. God created that. God put it in place so that each of these plants could uh, reproduce and they would reproduce after their kind. There is stability of the kinds. And so that brings us now to the start of the fourth day of creation. And so first of all, here this morning we see the declaration, let there be lights. The declaration there in verse 14, it says, and God said, let there be lights. In the firmament of the heaven, to divide the day from the night, and let there be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. Now, once again, this day begins with a declaration by Almighty God. It says, And God said, God speaks, and something happens. God speaks, and by the power of His word, these heavenly bodies now come into existence. Now, the declaration here, as we just read at the start of verse 14, is, and God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven. Let there be lights. That's it's very similar, isn't it, to a declaration he made back on day one. On day one in verse three we read, And God said, Let there be light. So it's very similar, particularly here in the English, it's very similar uh, wording. Now, of course, on day one we saw that it's talking about there the fact that God created light itself. He created light. Uh, the source of light uh, there on day one was God Himself. You know the sun, the moon weren't created yet, so He is the source of light. And it's not until now on the day, on the fourth day that God creates the lights. And it's interesting that the Hebrew word in these two verses is actually different. Uh, the word in verse three. Uh, simply means light, okay, and it's talking about the, the idea of light, you know, the scientific principle we see light. Whereas the verse here, in, sorry, the word here in verse fourteen, has the idea of light bearers or light holders, and so it's a different word. One's talking about the actual idea, light. The other's talking about the, the bearer of that light. And so God created light, the principle, the the scientific fact first of all on day one and now on day four God creates the generators of light if you like it's an interesting thought isn't it God didn't need the generators he didn't need the sources of light light was already there in existence but he creates them for us as we'll see this morning for days and years for seasons he creates them for our benefit in a lot of ways and so God now places in, in the heavens these sources, these light generators, or these lamps, if you like, in the heaven. Now, one commentator wrote this <clears> He <throat> said, The reference in the last of these verses is not to the original creation of the matter, which was performed at the beginning, nor to the first production of light, which was the specific work of day one, but to the permanent appointment of the former to be the place or center of radiation for the latter. That's what takes place here, okay? God created on day one, He created matter and He created light. Now on day four, God takes some of that matter and He makes it the source or the generator of that light. He appoints these bodies of matter, these bodies of gas, etc., to be the source of light in the universe, to be the holders of light. Of course, in verse 16, we We see that these heavenly bodies are the sun, the moon, and the stars. In verse 16 it says, And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. So verse 16 very clearly states it for us. It's the sun, the moon, and the stars we're talking about here this morning that God creates here in an instant by the power of his word. In verse 16, both the sun and the moon are referred to as being great lights or great light bearers, one to rule the day and the other to rule the night. Now, this doesn't somehow uh, suggest that both are of the same substance and therefore, you know, the word of God's wrong. It's not trying to say that both are the same. Now, we know one is a generator of light, the sun, okay, whereas the other is a reflector of light. But the point is that both of them give light upon the earth, don't they? That's the point here. Okay? Both give light upon the earth. Both fulfil the function that God created them for. One during the day and the other during the nights. You know, I think what also is interesting here is that the stars are mentioned here as almost an afterthought. You notice that in verse 16? And God made two great lights. The greater lights rule the day, the lesser lights rule the night. Oh, and he made the stars also. It's almost an afterthought. It's almost, oh, we'll state that too. We'll put that in there as well for us to understand. God created all of the stars of the heavens as well. You see, in that little statement, we have the creation of the millions of stars and planets that are out there in the universe. In that little statement. And we have a declaration that God created the vast solar systems making up our universe but what does god give it he gives it this tiny little phrase that's all in the word of god that's all we have this one statement if you like he made the stars also the focus here the focus here instead is upon the sun and the moon that's where the focus is that's where the emphasis is it's upon the sun and the moon why well, because of their purpose in regards to the earth. That's why the focus is upon these two. That's why the, the attention is given to these two heavenly bodies because of their relation to the earth, their their purpose for the earth. You see, God's focus right throughout the creation account is earth, isn't it? It's earth. It's this place that he's created for us to call home. His focus is upon us as his special creation and he's making this planet somewhere perfect for us to live and so his focus here is upon the sun and the moon and their relation to the earth but god did create all the other planets all the other stars the solar systems god created it all and you know with that in mind here that god created them with a purpose in relation to the earth We're told in verse 17 that God set each of them in the firmament. Verse 17 says, And God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. God set them, it says, in the firmament of heaven. Now, the firmament mentioned here is obviously not the same firmament as was mentioned back in verse 7 and 8 in the second day. Let's just go back there. Uh, We're starting in verse 6. It says and God said, <clears throat> "Let the firmament in the midst of the waters, uh, sorry, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters." And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament in heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Of course, when we looked at uh, the second day of creation, we talked about the firmament. We saw that, that word permanent there refers to a region of space or an expanse. And on day two, the region of space, the expanse that it's referring to, of course, is the atmosphere. The atmosphere around the earth, the air that we breathe. And here that same word is now used to refer to outer space. Okay, the word permanent here is referring to space now. As we, uh, we think of it outer space. And verse 17 tells us that God set them in the firmament. God set them. God put them in their place. The sun, the moon, the stars. God set them into their place by the power of his word. Now this is not just some random positioning. You know, God didn't just scatter the approach and just put them all out there. There actually is a a set positioning to each of them. God knew exactly what he was doing, didn't he? It's another evidence of the wisdom of God. You know, he positioned the sun and the moon in particular in the right place to provide perfect living conditions upon the earth. You know, the earth orbits the sun at just the right distance. So it's not too hot and it's not too, too cold. God put us in just the right place. Any change in that would, would make life on earth impossible. It would change the whole idea of life. But God made sure the sun was in the right spot and the earth is orbiting at the right distance. The moon likewise is in a perfect orbit, isn't it? Around the earth, giving us the, the tides of the oceans. It's in the perfect place, the perfect position. You see, they were set in their place by Almighty God and and God sustains that as well. Isn't that an awesome thought? God created this at the very beginning. He set them all in their place and they're still in their place. They're still where they're meant to be. God set them and God sustains them. The New Testament talks about that. He sustains His creation. He sustains it all so that it's a a perfect ecosystem. One commentator wrote this. He said, The intricate balance of our ecosystem argues strongly for the existence of a creator. We live in a very complex world. It's true, isn't it? When we look at our world, and we look at the sun, the moon, and the stars, we look at it all, this is a very complex system. And it's a complex ecosystem, and it all works perfectly. And it argues for intelligent design, doesn't it? It argues that God created it. You know, what the world's response is to look at all this, where we see design, where we see God's power. The world's response is to instead look at this and put it down to luck. Luck. Now, I read a secular article this week entitled 13 Incredibly Lucky Earth Facts. 13 Incredibly Lucky Earth Facts. And this is a scientist. And in it the writer said this, he said, we live... Sorry, we are lucky to live on such an incredibly perfect planet, where the air is exactly the mix of chemicals we need, there's lots of water, and the temperature is just right. He looks at all that, at that evidence, and he says, we're lucky. It's, it's blind luck that we ended up in this place, that somehow this all happened. Now He then proceeds in the rest of his article to talk about the perfect distance that we are from the sun. He talks about the, the perfect, stable rotation of the earth. And he goes on and on. 13 lucky facts. You see, the world puts it down to luck. But you and I, as we look at it, we can see the almighty power of God coming. That's not luck. There's no chance in all this. None of this could happen by chance. God created this. The evidence Argues for intelligent design. The evidence argues for God, for our Creator. You know, in particular, when we consider the heavens, we see His glory, don't we? Psalm 19, verse 1. Let's go there. We probably know the verse, but let's just turn over there. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. The whole psalm is, is wonderful, but verse 1 in particular, Psalm 19 and verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. It's a wonderful verse, isn't it? And it's so true, the heavens declare the glory of our God. The firmament shows his handiwork. It shows what he has done. It shows his hands upon us. God created it. God put it all in its place by the power of his word. And so we've seen the declaration, the the statement here. Let there be lights. And with it, God creates the sun, the moon, the stars, and puts them in their perfect place. Now, secondly, this morning, let's see the purpose of these lights as Genesis chapter 1 tells us. Genesis chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 14 again. It says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of, of the heaven. Sorry, in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven, to give light upon the earth. And it was so. You see, not only does our passage tell us that God spoke and brought all these heavenly bodies into existence. Setting each in its place in the firmament of heaven. But we're also told the purpose of these lights. And there's three purposes given to us here in this passage the first is to divide the day from the night look there in verse 14 it says and God said let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night and if you drop down to verse 18 as well it says and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good <coughs> The first purpose of these light bearers, these lamps in the heavens, is that they are created to divide the day from the night. Or as verse 18 puts it, to divide light from darkness. Now we've seen this idea already, haven't we? We saw this idea back on day one when God created light. Verse 4. <clears throat> starting in verse 3. It says, "...and God said, let there be light." And there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So back on day one, when God created light, God divided light from darkness. That was part of that creative act. That was part of what he did there on day one. And he gave names to those periods of light and darkness. He called the light day and the darkness nights so God has already put this division in place. He's put this idea of day and night in place upon the earth. But now the sun and the moon are created to oversee, to regulate those periods of light and darkness upon the earth. On this, Morris writes this. He says, The chief purpose of both the light of the first three days and the light givers of the latter days was to divide the light from darkness. and this can only mean that the two regimes were essentially the same identical. The duration of the days and nights was the same in each case, and the directions of the light emanation on the earth from space must have been the same in each case. So he talks about the fact that there's already this rotation, we talked about that, already a rotation happening. There's already day and night. there's already light periods and dark periods. And those light and dark periods were of the same duration as they are now. As God now creates the sun and the moon, he creates these generators to be the source of that light upon the earth to oversee those periods, if you like. Those periods which were already in existence, light and darkness. You know, God now creates these great lights to continue and to render permanent this distinction. Probably also helps us, too, that we look out and we can see the source of the light. Um, He puts it there for us, doesn't he? And so these are there to divide the day from the night. The second purpose given to us here is that they're for for signs, for seasons, days, and years. It says there in verse 14, it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So he tells us, for signs, seasons, days, years. Well, let's try and understand each of these words here. The word signs, first of all, is somewhat uncertain. Okay, It's un- somewhat uncertain as to exactly what it means here. Now, there's various suggestions as to what it's talking about. Now, it's possible that this term has a Reference to the various star groupings, the the star formations that we see in the night sky. You know, man has used those formations as signs for direction at night, haven't they? You know, navigation. They look up the stars and we navigate by the stars. And so it could be referring to that, you know, that there's these signs in the heaven. It's also true that the sun, the moon, and the stars are a sign in the sense of Psalm 19, which we read before, verse 1. They declare the glory of God. You know, the stars declare the glory of God to us. They're a sign of God's glory. You know, throughout the word of God, we see them used as signs by God of extraordinary events, don't we? Matthew chapter 2 in particular, the, the wise men see the star in the east, and they follow the star to find the Savior born in Bethlehem. And so the star was used as a sign of His birth of that extraordinary event. You know that Luke chapter 21 tells us that they will be a sign of the second coming. Let's go over there, Luke chapter 21. Luke 21 and verse 25. It says, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. It's talking about the second coming, and it says that there will be signs in the heavens, in the sun, the moon, and the stars, there will be signs of his coming. It's also true that they are signs of divine judgment. Go over to Joel chapter 2 with me, the Old Testament there, Joel. Joel chapter 2, and in verse 30, it says this, I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And so they're a sign also of divine judgment that's coming. They will be used as a sign of divine judgment. And so God created the heavenly bodies to be signs, and they're used as signs in various ways. And so probably all of those are talked about in that little word there, signs. But the verse also then goes on to state that they are for signs and for seasons. This one's a little bit easier to understand, isn't it? You know, we understand that we have seasons upon the earth. The positioning of the sun and the earth's rotation upon its axis around the sun gives us our Four seasons upon the earth, the seasons we now enjoy. Now, Morris writes this he says, Since the heavenly bodies were used, uh, sorry, were to be used to denote the seasons, it is obvious that there were to be distinct seasons through the year, Uh, and this implies that the earth's axis was inclined as it is present. Although the vapor canopy maintained a warm climate everywhere there would still have been slight seasonal changes in temperature. And we talked about how that water canopy providing perfect conditions on earth. There still would have been slight variations because it's spinning on its axis around the sun. There would have been those seasonal changes. And so right here at the beginning, God puts in place these four seasons on the earth as we now enjoy. And so it tells us the earth's axis was inclined as it is today. And not only were they for signs and seasons, but it also says for days and years. You see, God gave us the heavenly bodies so we could tell time, didn't he? So we could tell time. You know, each 24 hours, the sun rises and the sun sets. It's God's perfect timekeeper. It's his perfect clock. It never runs fast and never runs slow. It's always on time. You know, before the invention of the clock Man lived by the sun, didn't we? We lived by the cycle of the sun, by the cycle of the moon. It was our means of keeping time. Now, One commentator summed it up well. He said, The moon, by her four quarters, which lasts a little more than seven days, measures for us the weeks and the months. The sun, by its apparent path in the sky, measures our seasons and our years. Whilst by his daily rotation through the heavens... He measures the days and the hours. And this he does so correctly that the best watchmakers in Geneva regulate all their watches by his place at noon. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? God at the very beginning sets all these in their place. It's the perfect clock. And even now we still follow God's clock, don't we? We still look at it to set our time to to figure out what time it is. You see, God's clock is perfect. It runs on time. Indeed, God put all this in place. It didn't happen by chance. It's not blind luck. God put it all in place. He gave us the sun, the moon, and the stars for signs, for seasons, for days, and years. And then the third purpose here is to give light upon the earth. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis 1 and verse 15, it says, And let them be for lights. In the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. So the third reason given to us here is that they were created to give light upon the earth. Now this is the most obvious purpose of all. You know, we need the sun to give us that warming light each day. It's necessary for the growth and the health of the plant life which God created on day three. They need the sun, they need its rays, they need its, its warmth to grow. And of course, all animal life, you know, the, the creature of the deep and of the air on day five, and then on day six, you've got all land animals, and indeed us as well, created on day six. We need the light. We need the light. It's, it's something we, we need to survive, we need to live. Mankind needs it, and so God created these to give light upon Earth, the sun in particular during the day, but of course, at night, you know, the moon and the stars they light up the night sky, don't they? You know, we go outside and we gaze up at the night sky and we see the light not only from the moon, but we see the light from these distant stars, these distant planets far away. We see the lights, you know, from the very moment they were created. They gave their light upon the earth. That's the implication here. He gave them to be lights upon the earth. And so, from the very beginning, you know, when Adam went outside at night, he saw the stars. The light was there. God created it, so there was light shining upon the earth. They were created in that moment, and they've been giving their light upon the earth ever since. Now, the evolutionist thinks that we have a problem here as Christians. You see, their argument is that light from stars takes thousands and millions of years to travel those vast distances to arrive on Earth. And so they claim that this proves the old age of our universe. You know, for us to be seeing those stars, our universe has to be millions of years old for it to have travelled all that distance. You know, the fact that as they look through telescopes, mankind has witnessed dying stars, you know, stars exploding. Again, they say, well, for us to see that, that light has to travel from that all those years to arrive on Earth for us to see it. Something that happened to them, it must have happened thousands of years ago, if not millions, for us now to see that event. You know, at first glance, this would seem to be a problem. It would seem to suggest that the Earth the universe is a lot older than what God's Word tells us, you know, which is approximately about 6,000 years old. But, you know, there are a number of suggestions regarding how light from these stars can get here a lot quicker than what an evolutionist believes. And, you know, the first and most obvious of all is God is God, isn't He? God can do as He pleases. If you and I believe that God can create those heavenly bodies by the speaking of his word, then God can make the light be here right now. God can create it so the light is there in an instance. God can create it so the light is already shining upon the earth from the beginning of time. Yeah, God is God. He does, he's not you know, restrained by you know, physics, is he? He's not restrained by those things. God can do the supernatural. Now we talked about last week, God created a mature creation. And so light from the stars didn't need hundreds of thousands of years to arrive here God created it so it was already here shining upon the earth but, You know then the question is asked well what about the changes in the stars that are witnessed you know stars exploding stars dying How do we account for the lights from those events traveling and arriving on earth so soon you know 6000 years How do we account for that? Well, again, creation scientists have given us a number of suggestions, all scientific suggestions. I'm not going to try and go through them all because I'm not a scientist. But the one that uh, I read this week in particular is the idea that the Earth is at the centre of what's called a gravity well. And what that means is that time travels slower on Earth than it does anywhere else in space. Light travels slower here than it does anywhere else in space. See, we tell time by light, effectively. And so if we're in the middle of a gravity well and time's slower here than it is in the outer regions of space, it doesn't take long for it to get here, does it? And then to arrive so we can see it. It means that light from these distant regions can arrive at its own pace, and on Earth, only a few thousand years has gone by. And in regard to this, Morris also makes an interesting point. He says this, There is no assurance of the uniformity of the speed of light at such tremendous distances. They're basically guessing it. They don't really know for sure that it is uniform. And he goes on, he says, There exists respectable models of relativity and space curvature, for example, which yield light motions such that light would reach the earth even from infinite distances in only a few years. He says there is respectable scientific uh, models out there which show that light in space travels a lot quicker and it can arrive here a lot quicker, which adds to the evidence that the universe isn't as old as the evolutionists would have us to believe. It was interesting this week as I was studying this, the evolutionist has the exact same problem with the speed of light from the stars because if it is, indeed, like they say, a thousand years old, then light from those distance ones should be arriving at different rates, but it's not. And so that they have the same problem. They can't account for it either. This idea there's a big bang and all that. They can't account for it. But they throw it on creation because they think we have a problem. But we don't because we believe in God. We believe in his almighty power. You know, ultimately it comes down to a matter of faith, doesn't it? comes down to a matter of faith. You know as we look out at the universe as we look at the stars the moon the sun it's clear that it couldn't have simply happened. It couldn't have simply happened. It's not blind luck it's the creative hand of God. You know each of these is in its perfect location to make the earth its perfect habitable planet for us to live. You know, God now in his power sustains and keeps this universe running like clockwork. You know, when we consider all of this, light from distant stars really isn't a problem, is it? When we consider all we believe about God and all we know and all we see, and we see the evidence of God everywhere, light from distant stars really isn't a problem for us. You know, we believe that our God, the Creator, The sustainer of the universe is not bound by the law of physics. He created those laws. He can do what he likes with those laws. And just because man believes light travels at a certain speed, constant speed, doesn't make it so. You know, we indeed serve a great, big, wonderful God, do we not? Now, verse 19 concludes this section that says, And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. You know, once again, we marvel this morning at the greatness and the the power of God. That he's able to create all of the heavenly bodies in one 24 hour period by merely speaking his word. You know, our response to this awesome creation should be one of humility. Go over to Psalm chapter 8 with me as we close this morning. Psalm 8. Psalm 8, and read from verse 3 this morning. Psalm 8, verse 3, it says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Indeed, the fact that the almighty, powerful God who created the sun, the moon, and the stars, would care about us. That's truly a humbling thought, isn't it? He cares about us. Enough to send his son to die for us, to save us from our sin. It's a humbling thought. Let's close with that this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are indeed a great, big, wonderful God. You are all-powerful. And Lord, by the, the very words of your mouth you created Lord everything we see, you created the, the heavenly bodies as we've seen this morning, the sun the moon, the stars, you set each of them in their place and Lord you sustain them in their place and Lord it's a, it's a wonderful thing that we can look out at the night sky and we can see your handiwork we can see your greatness and Lord it's humbling to think that you care about us we thank you for your word this morning may he bless as we close in Jesus name